Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. This month marks 60 years since the opening of Hong Kong City Hall, which was the first multi-purpose cultural complex built for the territory's community. Designed by British architects Ron Phillips and Alan Fitch, the new City Hall, built on newly reclaimed land in Central, was constructed in the then fashionable international style. In this week's programme, we'll hear parts of the opening ceremony, plus chat to arts historian and author Oliver Chow about the previous City Hall, and also how, from 1962, this City Hall had an incredible cultural significance. This is Radio Hong Kong. In a few minutes' time, His Excellency the Governor, Sir Robert Black, is due to arrive at Hong Kong's new City Hall for the opening ceremony. Our commentators, Ted Thomas and Ian Kingsley, are waiting there now to describe the scene. So over to Ted Thomas in the foyer of the City Hall. Good afternoon to you from the foyer of Hong Kong's new City Hall. I am standing here looking out to the front entrance where His Excellency the Governor, Sir Robert Black, will arrive in just a few moments. A word about the foyer itself is in order here, I think. It's been designed, it was said some time ago, to take an explosive inrush of a very large number of people at any one time. And this afternoon, over the last hour or so, it's been required to do just that. Because over a thousand people have entered the hall, passed through it and up the stairs to the concert hall. The concert hall, which has been this designed to take over 1,500 people, 1,500 people, there with its platform capable of taking a full symphony orchestra and a large choral group together. The question of sound has been gone into very carefully for this. It has been a specially designed acoustic reflection materials used in the design of the inside. And for the past two months or so, engineers have been testing to see if the designs which were born on the drawing board have in fact turned out to be all their originators had hoped. It would have a concert hall, which visiting musicians found to have excellent acoustics and provided the public with its own civic centre. City Hall was also used to swear in Hong Kong governors. It provided a 1,500-seat concert hall, a 475-seat theatre, an art gallery, a banquet hall. It would have a public library and housed the Museum of Art in its early years. To mark its opening, Governor Robert Black, who had laid the foundation stone, also gave the inaugural speech and explained what this new hall would mean to the people. But there is only one building designed and directed to fulfill its own particular function as a place where the citizens of this city may receive the undoubted pleasures of the arts in their most varied forms, a centre of culture and a place of meeting, a desk for quiet reading or a restful spot for the contemplation of what is beautiful 
and refreshing to the mind. Renowned arts administrator Darwin Chen talked to me in an earlier interview about what City Hall could offer Hong Kong's residents when he began there in 1962 as the assistant manager. Well, because of its history, the City Hall is meant to replace the old one. And so government's responsibility is to make sure the facilities in the City Hall, the new City Hall, would be as uh, multifaceted as the old one. The old one had an exhibition gallery, uh, had a performance venue, and also assembly room. So as a result, the schedule of accommodation for the new city hall would include all this. And in addition, we decided to put in a library as well. So when the city hall first opened in 1962, uh, we've got the low block, which houses the concert hall, the theater, and what we call the ballroom in those days. And then there's a high block with exhibition space, museum, and the library. So right from the start, City Hall became a cultural center. Take me back to 1962 when the City Hall was opened. Uh, what were some of the first performances there? Well, we were very lucky because uh, in those days, of course, uh, we were still a British Crown colony. So. So we had support from the British Council, uh, which arranged for a visit of the London Philharmonic Orchestra to Hong Kong for a whole week. And uh, the conductor was Sir Malcolm Sargent. So we had a whole week of orchestra uh, in the concert hall. For the theater, we arranged a special film shows also to do with the arts. Uh, actually, we showed uh, uh, films on various operas. So right from the very beginning, we were able to introduce uh, the best of, the, of Western art forms to Hong Kong. Can you remember what the London Philharmonic played? Well, they played the whole for a whole week. Uh, it was in those days, the repertoire was pretty uh, uh, traditional, if you like, standard. Yeah, so we played Mozart, Brahms, Beethoven, Tchaikovsky. And we had a soloist uh, from Hong Kong, Miss Yi Ha Chu. Uh, and she played the Mozart with the London Philharmonic. Uh, but I think what really made the audience happy was uh, the excellent acoustics uh, the concert turned out to provide. Uh, indeed, at the end of the Concert week, Sir Malcolm Sargent gave a little speech and he said the City Hall Concert Hall was one of the best auditoria he's ever used, he's ever played in. Oh, he must have been all very pleased about that. Oh, excellent. We were really pleased. And indeed, this is uh, held to be a very correct description. And every uh, visiting orchestra or soloists who came to Hong Kong played in the City Hall Concert Hall all were very, very happy with our acoustics. Yeah. So you've already created for Radio 4 a 60th anniversary of City Hall. So tell me about that. Did you enjoy actually putting it all together? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, it's been a long research on this subject. I've been always interested in the performing arts scene in Hong Kong, even before the City Hall. And I want to 
have a good look at the continuity of the whole thing. So I started all the way back to the 19th century because I saw a reference somewhere that there was an old city hall that existed before. So I looked into history and got some interesting information about that old hall, which is at the present site of the Hong Kong and Shanghai Bank headquarters in Central. That's where it used to be. Yes, it was quite a, a lovely looking building and uh, also seemed to have assembly rooms. I've seen sort of illustrations of people dancing there. Oh, there was a concert hall there. It's called Theatre Royal. And when it was inaugurated in 1869, it was quite a big thing because even the son of Queen Victoria, Prince Alfred, Duke of Edinburgh, he came all the way to Hong Kong. And remember, there was no airplane in those days. So he had to travel <laughs> all the way to Hong Kong to open the, that venue back in 1869 when the Suez Canal just barely opened. Now, would it have at the time been mostly for just for British people? Uh, yes and no. The OCD Hall Theatre Royal especially, it was run by the community. It had no monetary thing from, from the government. The government did not sponsor a penny. Ah, wow, okay. It was all community. Even the building of uh, the OCD Hall itself was crowdfunded by the community. And uh, the uh, Hong Kong government only provided the land and nothing else. So the group of people, they crowdfunded for $98,000. That's the amount they put together. And they used that money to build the city hall. When the city hall was decided to be demolished in the 1930s, the Hong Kong government had to make a pledge that they would pay back the city hall to, to the community. So that's why the hall was used mostly by the community in Hong Kong. And uh, even Chinese musicians got to perform in there. Now, the building that uh, we still have today, City Hall, that's marking its 60th anniversary, built in 1962. I've heard key musicians and conductors comment that, that the acoustics are really marvellous in there. What, what, what's your view? Oh, that's absolutely true. I think you're referring to Sir Michael Sargent. Yes. Uh, when he made that comment after the uh, the concert in 1962, after he opened opened the hall, he he spoke to the uh, to the audience about the acoustics. I don't think he is being polite. I think it is very true. Uh, even up to now, um, I think City Hall Concert Hall has the best acoustics. Even the replica, such as the Chun Wan Town Hall, has uh, the same fine acoustics like the city hall. And uh, in fact, many recordings that were made in Hong Kong at the time, a lot of them were done in the city hall and that preserved the acoustics there. So we have the recording to prove that. Alongside the London Philharmonic Orchestra, at that who played five concerts in that first six days, at the time of City Hall opening. Were there any other musicians playing at that time? Well, the uh, LPO opened the uh, the hall with five concerts, as you said. And after that, uh, City Hall has become the main venue for all concerts, uh, local or overseas. That was the main venue that uh, because that was the largest hall in Hong Kong at the time with uh, 1,400 seats in the concert hall and then 500 seats at the theater. So those two venues became the major venues for all classical or even pop music uh, performances in Hong Kong or even uh, Cantonese operas, anything, you name it. You know, City Hall is the place to be. As a concert goer, what have been the key artists that you've enjoyed seeing at City Hall? 
Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I have <laughs> the, the the list is too long to name, but I have uh, looked into history and I was amazed by some of the really big names that perform in the city hall. Uh, I'm talking about you know Ella Fitzgerald. I'm talking about Louis Armstrong, Pat Poon. Uh, even Matt Monroe, uh, you know, uh, were uh, in 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 the hall uh, shortly after it was opened. With, without City Hall, all these names would not have been a part of uh, the the music history of Hong Kong. For myself, one particular concert that I was very deep in my in my impression is um, the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra in the early 80s. They performed the Shostakovich Symphony Number no. 10. It was the first time I, I I listened to that piece. It was really spellbounding, and uh, I still remember every note of that performance to this day. It it was just amazing. But isn't it incredible when when you do go to a concert and uh, you have that kind of remarkable experience? The City Hall itself, uh, built in 1962, do you think that the ticket prices, I mean, the feeling for me was that it was really built as a community civic centre, this idea of the library, the early Museum of Art being positioned in there. Also, the the gardens outside, including the Memorial Garden, that it was meant as a real place for the Hong Kong people. Yes. Well, actually, City Hall symbolised a very important policy change of the Hong Kong government. As I mentioned, the old City Hall was not sponsored or financed by the Hong Kong government. But uh, the new City Hall of 1962, it marked a major departure of the former non-interference policy of the Hong Kong government on arts to a policy that the Hong Kong government would actively sponsor the cultural events, such as um, um, the venues and also later on the, um, the art groups. So the city hall was a major turning point of the government's change of policy on um, sponsoring the arts. Now, looking forward, I mean, City Hall, obviously, there's there's the cultural centre. There's been various arts venues that have been built subsequent to City Hall. As far as I understand it, in 1962, it was actually positioned near Queen's Pier. So it had a kind of sea entry. Yes. Well, the whole area was uh, reclaimed uh, for that purpose. As I mentioned, the people who asked the government to pay back their city hall had to wait for a long time until the government decided to uh, give them the land. And in fact, the uh, area of uh, the present city hall was made specially for the purpose, starting with the Queen's Pier and Star Ferry Pier. They were opened prior to the city hall and uh, they were there first. I believe uh, Queen's Pier and Star Ferry Pier came into being in 1957. And then after the infrastructure was made and then the city hall was built. So it was a grand plan for that area to become a central area for a lot of things to happen. Traffic wise is is accessible for the public to, to go to. And as you mentioned, City Hall itself features more than a concert hall. It has the marriage registry, it has the public library, it has museum, uh, you name it. So it's all purpose. And uh, schools have their graduation ceremonies there. Even the International Film Festival in the 70s had their movies shown in there. So it's everything. So it's important for that area to become the new center of Hong Kong cultural life at the time, until the 80s, when the Chim Sa Choi railway station was removed 
and there it was built the the new cultural center. There was, so that was the second center of culture to be、uh, in in the eighties. But City Hall, back in the sixties, it already started the whole thing. It was the catalyst of a lot of things to come. Now the key drivers behind、uh, this idea of of City Hall were, among others, the Urban Council and some of the councillors among them, and、uh, also the impresario Harry O'Dell. It was a concerted effort on many fronts.、Uh, as I said, the、uh, community there were a group of lobbyists、uh, in the community that really wanted the the City Hall back. They felt the Hong Kong government owed it to them. Including the the late Solomon Bart and, and all those、uh, musicians and arts people, they remembered the old city hall. So they kept putting pressure on the Hong, Hong Kong government to to honor their promise to give back the the city hall. And then in the fifties,、um, like you said, Harry O'Dell was very、uh, active through his Empire Theater, and he in, invited a lot of、uh, famous artists, including Benjamin Britten, and and all that to perform there. So that started another aspect of、uh, art appreciation in in Hong Kong was really forthcoming. And then, of course, there was a major change of heart in the Hong Kong government to decide to go ahead with paying for arts, which they did not do before. All this collection of efforts that made City Hall possible. Look at it with some nostalgia. Yes, especially after the Queen's Pier being demolished、mm. and our, you know, clock tower of our beloved Star Ferry removed. Yes, I always have that sense of nostalgia, and that was the area I hang on a lot when I was student. And、uh, I used the the library there, and during in the and, and I look at my watch when it was intermission. I would sneak into the concert hall and enjoy the free concert in the out, second half of, <laughs> of the program. That's part of my and a lot of my colleagues'、uh, fond memories in our old days. Now you you mentioned one of your favorite classical concerts that you saw there, but、um, who were the more pop icons of their time? Yes, indeed. Well,、um, aside from classical music, actually, City Hall is also a major venue for popular music, especially the development of local pop music bands. I'm talking about Uncle Ray being the engineer of the whole thing, because at that time he had several very popular programs, such as Lucky Deep. Where local bands would play live music for for the audience, but then the Mercury House Studio was too small for the large audience, so he removed the location from Studio One, Mercury House, across the street to the City Hall, where it could house、uh, over four five hundred audiences, and that's where Uncle Ray began to really nurture. Developed the local bands, including Teddy Robin and the Playboys and Joe Junior. They all did their concerts at the City Hall Theater. Without that, I think the、uh, local pop music culture would have been postponed for for quite a number of years. So, thank you to Uncle Ray, and thank you City Hall as well for that to to happen. Yes, good partnership. 
Now, uh, another, uh, well, he was a Hong Kong created artist, really, um, was Matt Monroe, who also performed at City Hall. Yes, he, of course, uh, was in Hong Kong before. It was Uncle Ray who discovered yes. him. And, uh, but when he became a big shot uh, in the early 60s, and uh, he came back to Hong Kong. And in fact, he came back in the very same year as uh, the opening of the City Hall. In December 1962, he gave a concert at the Sea Hall to, to, to fundraise the uh, Operation Santa Claus. And uh, it was amazing that the uh, recording preserved not only Matt Monroe's voice, but also the lovely acoustics of the City Hall at the time. This building is significant in another way, for its design pursues the mood which governed the building of the first City Hall. Just as that building impressed its first beholders by its modernity and convenience, and just as it was very much in the idiom of its day, so this city hall is erected unequivocally in the idiom of this century's architecture, and while some, although accepting the pressure of necessity, nevertheless regret the passing of the era of lofty rooms and wide verandas, they will, I hope, admire with what precision and ingenuity the architects have used up-to-date engineering skills and modern materials to achieve a clean and uncluttered design, functional and honest, and attaining dignity in its own right. In Hong Kong, we pride ourselves in swiftly adopting modern machinery and materials and designs, harnessing them to work alongside the undoubted skill and ingenuity of our local artisans and craftsmen. And this is precisely what this building demonstrates and will continue to exemplify to residents and visitors alike. Within these walls will be shown something of the arts and craft, both of the East and of the West, an amalgam of great interest and a microcosm of striking significance. Over the past 60 years, City Hall has been overtaken by the Cultural Centre and a new central library next to Victoria Park. But in 1962, it marked a major milestone in Hong Kong's cultural development. And that marks the ending of the official part of the order of ceremonial for this afternoon. And now everyone in the audience rises and the peace band begins to play the ceremonial march by Ord Hume and the inspecting party, led by His Excellency the Governor, with Lady Black, Miss Black, Mr Kinghorn, the Chairman of the Urban Council, and Mr Ingalls, the Director of Public Works, lead the way from the stage and begin their tour of the building. The other members of the inspecting party are Mr Peters, the manager of the City Hall, Mr Brooke Benaki, Mr Fitch and Mr Phillips, the architects who've had so much to do with the City Hall, Mr Raymond Lee, Mr Y.K. Khan, Dr P.F. Wu and Mr. Watts. 
And that party makes its way out of the concert hall now, and they will go first to the high block of City Hall. They'll get into the lifts and go to the top floor, where His Excellency will meet the curator, Mr. John Warner. There he'll enter the first signature in the City Hall's visitor's book, and then be conducted around some special exhibitions. First, he'll see some 19th century paintings of old Hong Kong, Macau and Shanghai, and so on, many of which have come from the government collection. Upstairs, once more, there's an exhibition of 40 modern original prints, which are on loan from St. George's Gallery in London. And perhaps you'll be particularly impressed, as I was, to see the way in which they've been framed. There is a travelling exhibition organised by the British Council of Barbara Hepworth's sculpture work. There are many fine photographs and five actual pieces of sculpture to be seen. There's also a touch of humour there, for there are some very amusing cartoons by the late Gerard Hoffner. Mr Warner saw this exhibition first in the Festival Hall in London and arranged with Mr Hoffner to borrow these for the opening of the City Hall here in Hong Kong. When they finish there on the 10th floor, they'll go down to the 7th floor where there's an exhibition of photographs by the Hong Kong Photographic Society. The exhibition is based on the photographs that have been taken during the past few years and which have either been entries in international salons or been published in leading journals. I should point out that all these exhibitions will be open for the next six weeks and that admission is free. So you've got plenty of time to go along and see them for yourself. On the third floor, the inspecting party will see around the library, and the librarian, Mr. J. Harley, will issue the first reader's ticket to the governor and the second to Lady Black. Although the library is still largely being put together, there will be some 28,000 books available to the general public. There's a very good children's section, too, of some 4,000 books, and special attention is going to be paid to the reference side of the library. There are some 2,000 English reference works and 6,000 Chinese and a special department will look after Hong Kong's trade interests so that not only students but also industrialists can find out more information to assist them in their daily work. The aspect of the library overlooking as it does the harbour is of course delightful and surely this must be one of the most comfortable and beautiful libraries in the whole world. On the first floor, after His Excellency has finished with the library, on the first floor he'll visit the marriage registry. Now, this has not yet been officially opened, and a separate ceremony is to be held later for this, later on. When they finished in the marriage registry, His Excellency and the inspecting party will then return to the ballroom for refreshments for the remainder of the invited guests today. And this will be the signal for the playing of a fanfare from the front colonnade and the lighting of a string of firecrackers between the front entrance and Queen's Pier which will mark in appropriate Chinese fashion the new city hall's success and prosperity. This afternoon, then, has represented a triumph for Hong Kong, a triumph of organization in getting these wonderful new buildings off the ideas board and onto the drawing board. It's a triumph for architect and builder alike, and a triumph for Hong Kong itself, for there will be few who will not be able to share the civic pride and ownership. The full justification for all this comes not now, but over the weeks and years that lie ahead. The justification will come, as we've been told, from the use that we, the citizens of Hong Kong, make of all these new facilities. The 
concert hall, the theatre, the library, the restaurants and all the other amenities that have now been put into our hands. In two days' time, someone else will be sitting in the chair that I'm in now, in the little studio that's been specially designed for broadcasting. This studio, incidentally, is in itself a reward for the broadcasting engineer, Mr. Ronald Winyard, and all the other engineers who've worked so hard and so long and so quickly to make it all available for today. And not just for today, but, as I say, for Sunday, when we shall be bringing you the first of the five concerts by the London Philharmonic Orchestra, all of which are to be broadcast and which inaugurate the City Hall. I hope that you can be with us then, if you're not actually here in person in the Concert Hall. And on that note, then, I'll end this broadcast and say goodbye to you from Hong Kong's new City Hall and return you to the studio. And there we leave the City Hall, where His Excellency the Governor, Sir Robert Black, has been performing the opening ceremony. Our commentators were Ted Thomas and Ian Kingsley. My thanks to arts historian and author Oliver Chow and arts administration veteran Darwin Chen. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>